Let me just say this is going to be a very challenging text. Um, and you'll see what I mean as we, as we read through it. But we're going to be talking about some, some very difficult things. Uh, the topic of hell is inescapable. And uh, Jesus says several uh, things about hell. He mentions it several times and some very graphic descriptions. And so uh, today there's going to be a little bit of that theology of what exactly is, is hell according to the Bible. And that's not going to be the main point, but it's going to come up. And I just wanted to address that on the front end because that's not an easy topic for most people. Nobody wants to talk about that. In fact, most of us don't even want to believe that there is such a place, if we were really honest with ourselves. I mean, except for a certain few, I'm sure we could all think of some people who we deem you know, worthy to go to that place. Uh, but uh, by and large, it's a very uncomfortable topic, and it's one that, that we don't like to talk about. And I will say, I've seen a couple people in my life who seem to have just some, some euphoric glee come over them as they're telling people, that they're going to hell, and that is obviously bad, that's wrong. Um, if you have any understanding of this place or believe that it is real, then you should have nothing but a broken heart, and uh, really for anybody who may be potentially facing that, right? It's never something that we want to talk about joyfully or... or uh, with excitement even, as, as we see some people. But nevertheless, it is something that we, we have to talk about. And uh, so it's going to come up in the text today. And so I just want to remind you guys, the context of last week, the, it, you may remember Jesus was talking to His disciples about true greatness. You remember how uh, they were arguing as they were on the road, and Jesus kind of called them out on it and wanted to know, what were you guys talking about? And they were quiet because they didn't want to, want to, to answer and, and he began to call them out because they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. And so Jesus takes an opportunity to sit them down and talk about what true greatness actually is and it's having a willingness to serve the lowest, to take the low place and to serve the least of these. And in the kingdom of God, that's, that's true greatness. And so that's really kind of the context of where we're at today, and, it, and it's really difficult to figure out how we get from there to where we're at today. And that was part of my challenge as I, as I dug through this text. Let me just say this, a side note, as you are in your personal Bible study, there will be times you will find that uh, you read through it, and you can be in, in one certain text and looking at what seems to be two totally different things, two totally different topics, as you're moving verse to verse and the reality is, oftentimes, you're, not, you're, you're still very much talking about the same thing in the same context, and it's hard to find that connection. Okay, how did we land here? Just a minute ago, Jesus was talking about this. You know, would this be two completely different topics? And so I've really tried to do the work and, and figure this out, and we'll talk about that as we go. Um, but how we get from Jesus talking about who will be the greatest and, and who is the greatest to uh, talking about hell, it's, it's kind of an interesting switch. So if you would, read with me through our text. I'll pray and then we'll dig in. Verse 42 of Mark chapter 9. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell 
into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is uh, without question a challenging text, challenging on many levels, trying to understand exactly what it means, trying to understand the connection uh, here, and um, Lord, even dealing with the difficulties of, of what we're discussing today. It's, it's challenging on many levels, and I pray, God, that Your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to understand Your truth. I do pray, God, that the main things would be the plain things and that You would speak to us, God. I pray that we would be convicted of our sins. I pray that You would draw us to Yourself, God. I pray that as we see You in Your Word, we would fall more deeply in love with You. I pray that You would receive this as a time of worship, God, as we humble ourselves before Your Word and we seek to, uh, to hear from You, God, with every intention of obeying You. So have your way in this place today, God. Have your way in your word. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right. So as I said, the context up to this point has been true greatness. And now Jesus kind of flips it around. And we, we understand that there are severe warnings given here. There are severe warnings. And so Jesus goes from true greatness is serving these little ones, serving the lowly, to if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And it's like, how in the world did we get from here to there? And so I would like to share with you, kind of as I've studied through this, uh, how I think we have landed here. If you look at this parallel text, the parallel text in Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, there's a verse there that you don't find in Mark. And it says, 18 verse 7, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Now this word offense here, it means to entice somebody to sin or to fall away from the faith. It's not the same as uh, we tend to think of the word offense, as if someone offended me or they angered me or upset me. Here it's to entice someone to fall away. And so earlier in Mark, in verse 37, Jesus said that whoever receives one of these little ones receives me. And then we get into verse 42, and he says, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and cast into the sea. And then in Matthew 18.7, he says, look, offenses are going to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. All right. So as you bring it all together, Jesus is basically saying, there is a blessing for blessing those who are mine, 
for loving, for serving one of these little ones. And conversely, there is a cursing. Okay, If you stumble one of these little ones, one of these children of mine, one of these uh, who have put their faith in me. And then he says, Whoa, offenses are going to happen. People are going to cause others to stumble and to fall away. But don't let that be true of you. Don't let that be true of me. Woe to the one through whom that offense comes. And then from this point, Jesus kind of launches off and starts to talk about the consequences of offenses. Right? And so, you guys tracking with me? That's kind of how he gets from one point to the next. And now he's talking about those people who would, uh, who would be an offense, those people who are uh, in sin. Jesus begins to talk about the consequences of that. Uh, let me say this. I think the immediate interpretation here is dealing with people who would cause somebody to turn away from Christianity. And I, I think especially at this point in time, Jesus perhaps could have been talking about the Pharisees, somebody who would uh, put a yoke of bondage on a believer, so much so something that they couldn't even, wouldn't even carry themselves. But they're a hindrance to this person. This person can't come to God because they can't get past this Pharisee. And then in Paul's day, as he's in the church, the Judaizers, people who would say, yeah, Jesus is good, but He's not enough. You have to keep the law of Moses too. They were a stumbling block. But how about in our time? I can't help but think of uh, college professors, those who have made it their mission to destroy the faith of the young and the impressionable. And without apology, and they make it clear, uh, the first day in class, by the end of this semester, you will not believe in God anymore. That's their objective is to, to stumble one, to turn someone away from Christ, from faith. You know, and we consider even more tragic stories than that when we hear about uh, what has happened in the, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church throughout the years with, with the priest. Um, it's just a horrific thing, and it, it's, it happens. And Jesus said, Woe to you! Blessed are you! If you serve one of these little ones, but woe to you if you should cause one of them to stumble. And then Jesus goes on to talk about consequence. There is consequence. You understand that. We live in a world of consequences. There are consequences for, for wickedness. There are consequences for bad actions. There are consequences for good, good actions. We do good. We receive good. And so that's the, the most immediate interpretation here. But I would say that this also applies... To, uh, to Okay, first I would say this, this applies to unbelievers. Jesus is saying, in essence, there is no sin, there is no sin that is worth eternal damnation. You understand that? If there is anything in your life that is keeping you from God, if there is anything in your life that is keeping you from coming to Jesus, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It would be better for you to cut your hand off or your foot off or to tear your eye out. And I understand what Jesus is saying because for many years in my life, I believed that there was a God and that Jesus was the Son of God, but I wanted my sin. Can anybody relate with that? I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I knew that the two, you could not reconcile the two. So I chose darkness. And John says that. He says, this is the condemnation. That light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than the light. 
And Jesus said that, I'm warning you, I'm telling you, that there is nothing worth the, the separation from God and the torment that awaits the unrepentant, those who would choose their sin. If there's anything in your life, cut it out. But I would also say that there is some application that can be made for Christians here, and often it is. I do not believe that a Christian is going to fall into sin and lose his salvation or, and, and go to hell. So that's not what I'm saying, but I do believe that there are consequences for Christians when we sin. First and foremost, obviously, I think most of us know that fellowship with the Lord, it affects that. Our fellowship with God, it's hindered. Our relationship is not where it ought to be. There, there seems to be a distance there, a dryness there, a coldness there. But the Lord has also said He chastens those whom He loves, right? And that's a scary thing to fall under the, the chastisement of the Lord. Okay, so uh, this applies to Christians as well. If there's something in your life, if there is something that would uh, hinder you from experiencing the fullness of, of God's blessing in your life, cut it off. Get rid of it. Cast it away. Alright, so no one really escapes this. So moving on, the next thing I have here in your notes is a radical and worthy sacrifice. So what Jesus is saying is radical. He's calling us to radical sacrifice, and it's a worthy sacrifice. It's a worthwhile venture, okay? So at this point, I want to talk a little bit about hell according to the Bible as we read through the text, I'm sure you heard Jesus make mention of it multiple times. And through, uh, from verses 43 through 48, three times Jesus said, if something causes you to sin, sever it, cut it off. Three times He said, it's better for you to enter into eternal life crippled than to enter into hell uh, whole. Three times He describes hell as a place where the worm never dies. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Six times he describes hell as a place where the fires are not quenched. Okay? And so this causes us to, to think we better take a serious look at, at this. What does the Bible say about this? Because this is shocking language that Jesus uses to describe the horrors of hell. And there are many people out there who will give you many different ideas of what hell is or is not. Right? I'm sure we've all heard several. And uh, some would say that it's annihilation is the view that, yes, a person will go to hell, but then they die spiritually and then they cease to exist. And so it's a, it's a very temporary, momentary punishment, and then they're gone. Uh, obviously, there are many who believe hell doesn't exist at all. There are some who teach that, that people will go to hell, but eventually God's love wins and they end up in heaven uh, hell is, is again, temporary. Uh, even Hitler would be in heaven one day, according to, to this view. And so, uh, we need to know what the Bible says. Okay, because you can make something up, I can make something up, we can come up with a lot of different, different ideas about hell, but we want to know what the Bible says about it, right? And so, as I kind of went through the Scriptures and pulled this together, if you would read with me in your notes here. It says, no one in the Bible spoke of hell more than Jesus. And that is true. Jesus preached hell more than anyone else in the Bible. We know more about hell because of Jesus than anyone else in the Scriptures. And He described it as the hell of fire, 
A place that is far worse than death itself. A place where the ungodly would be cast out of His presence. Outer darkness, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. The furnace of fire, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Eternal fire, the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And eternal punishment. That is serious, that is shocking, that is sobering. And... um, it's hard for me to look at that and, and think, okay, this is just some um, imaginary place. This is some sort of a picturesque thing that Jesus is, is trying to, uh, to use to make a point. It sounds like Jesus believes this to be a very literal place, does it not? And so we, we need to treat it with that kind of seriousness. There are five words that are used throughout the Bible to, to speak of hell. In the Old Testament, the word Sheol is what is most commonly used, and it's much more generic. It it just means the grave. This would be the abode of the dead. It could be the just and the unjust. And in the New Testament, the word Hades, I'm sure a lot of you have heard that. It's it's pretty much the counterpart. It's the same idea. There's a word that Jesus uses 14 times. It's Gehenna. Gehenna. It's what He often uses uh, to describe hell. There was a place south of Jerusalem, known as the Hinnom Valley. And it later would be called Gehenna. Uh, it was actually named at one point as the, the Valley of Slaughter. And this was a place where the kings in Israel at certain points of the kingdom would actually uh, engage in child sacrifice to the god Molech. And I won't go into that, but it, suffice it to say it was a very horrific, uh, horrific thing that, that they were doing. And so that's what that place was known for. Eventually, um, it was destroyed. It became a, a dump, a trash heap. And there were fires burning there continually. So it was trash, refuse, fires. I'm sure you could, you know, mangy dogs and, and just you could vision in your mind how horrible this place probably looked like hell. And then with the, uh, the, the past history of what had taken place there, and so Jesus would use this to illustrate the horrors of hell when He would talk to people about the realities of, of hell. He would often refer to it as Gehenna. And people understood that made sense to them. A couple other places you'll find the word Tartarus, which is uh, kind of the nether world, the nether gloom, a, a, a pit, a place of torment, uh, the underworld. And then the Abuso, which is uh, translated the abyss, kind of the the, the um, never-ending, open, bottomless pit, okay, where even demons are being uh, in, they're in chains to this very day in that place. And so that's what, uh, that's what you hear when you consider what the Bible has to say about this place uh, called hell. That, that's what comes into, into our mind. And so with that, read with me verses 43 through 44. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So Jesus is going to say your hand, your feet, your eyes, and we'll we'll discuss that individually. But I would simply say that this is uh, speaking of one's choice, one's actions, uh, his choosing to embrace sin. 
And so Jesus is basically saying, if you find yourself wanting to embrace sin, cut your hand off. It would be better that you had no hands at all than to embrace sin and end up in a place like this. Now this is intended to have shock value. Okay, and I don't want to lessen that. I don't want to take away from the shock that Jesus intended this statement to have. But let me say on the flip side of that, Jesus is not actually saying we should cut our hands off. You understand that? There have been people throughout history who have taken this literally. In the church, people have literally cut off body parts uh, thinking that they were supposed to be... Uh, take this literally to be uh, obedient to it. And that, that's not the case because... The sin nature is still there. You can cut your hand off, you can cut your foot off, and your sin will still be with you. You can't escape that, okay? Um, the point here is that there is no sin that is worth eternal torment and separation from God. And whatever it takes to keep you from that, it's worth it. Do it. But Jesus is not literally saying, go cut your hand off. Okay, so let me just stop right here and say this. While we're talking about hell, we're talking about unbelievers, we're talking about believers, we're making applications in different places, this is what the Bible clearly teaches, that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. I don't think any of us in here needed to be convinced that really deep down inside we're not good people. I might be better than someone over here or someone over there, but if we were to take anyone in this room and take all your thoughts and put it up on the screen at some point, at any given point, you would probably be horrified, okay? You would never come back here because we all are wretched. We are depraved by nature. We have done horrible things. We have thought horrible things. And deep down inside, we know we are not good. And we certainly cannot stand in the presence of an infinitely holy and righteous judge. God Almighty we can't do it. And the Bible teaches that we were dead in our trespass and sins. But God in his infinite kindness and his wonderful mercy sent his son Jesus Christ, the only one who could live a perfect life to live the life that we could not live, and then the only one who did not deserve death to die the death that we deserved. So that if we put our trust in him, if we put our faith in Jesus, if we turn from our sins, and we follow Christ, we will be saved. Jesus died in our place. okay? And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And now when God sees me, He delights in me because who does He see? He sees Jesus Christ. So I am saved by works, but not my works, the works of another. Okay, I am saved by the works of Jesus Christ, by the righteous life of Jesus Christ. There is no more condemnation. There is no fear or threat of hell anymore. I am forgiven. I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am free. Amen? That is the truth for a believer. If you don't know God, if you don't know Christ, if your sins have not been paid for, if you've not put your trust in Him, you have to give an account to God. God will call you to account for your sin, to account for the things that you have done against Him and against His law, whether outwardly or inwardly. You'll have to give an account for that. You have to pay that debt. Either Christ can pay that debt for you, or you have to pay that debt. And Jesus is saying, there is nothing, there is nothing worth having to experience eternal separation and torment 
Okay, there is no sin that is so great that you should hold on to that and reject God. As I said earlier, I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, but I chose my sin over God. Okay, so eventually, in God's kindness, His graciousness, He, he drew me to Himself. I came to a place where I realized I was tired. I didn't want to do it anymore. I was sick of running. I was sick of struggling. I knew there had to be more to living than dying. And that I couldn't even... I wasn't even capable of... of uh, I could do nothing apart from God. Nothing. And I, I surrendered. I bowed the knee. I gave my life... To, to, to God and I confessed Christ and I was forgiven. And so I no longer have this. But for those who, who don't know that, uh, this is a very real warning. This is a very real warning. And Jesus said that there's nothing, there, it's, it's not worth it. Is there something that's keeping you from God? Is there something, somebody in this room, there's something in your life you're not willing to give up? And Jesus is saying to you, it's not worth it. It would be better if you cut your hand off. It would be better for you to enter into eternal life with one hand than to enter into hell perfectly whole. God could be speaking to someone in this room right now. And I want to encourage you, cut it off. It's not worth it. Repent of your sins. Trust Christ. Trust Christ today. God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. He's proven His love. Now I would urge you, cut it off. Repent. Now I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Christian. I want to get a little bit more specific here. Sometimes it requires a radical step to sever oneself from, from dominating sin. I mean, we all struggle, do we not? No one's perfect. None of us would claim to be. We're forgiven, but we're not perfect. And we all have our struggles. And some of them are similar, and some of them are very different. And it applies here to us, guys, that there is no sin worth... Uh, separation from God and fellowship and potentially being under the chastisement of the Lord. Okay? And sometimes, guys, we have to take radical steps in our lives to help break out of dominating sin. Okay? Who in here has seen the movie Fireproof? Okay, a pretty decent amount. You know the scene where the guy has, he, he has his computer and he's watching things he should not be watching, and it's just destroying his marriage, and his wife calls him out on it, and he, he comes to Christ, he, he's turning things around, and he finds himself in front of the computer, and again, the struggle is still very real. And this time, there's a battle happening because he's a Christian, and he doesn't want to live that way anymore. He doesn't want to do that. Uh, yet, the flesh is strong. The spirit is willing uh, but the flesh is, is weak and, and uh, he, he has that battle. What does he do? Hmm? You say it loud. What did he do? Yeah, man, he took that thing outside, smashed it to pieces. And that's what I'm talking about. For some of us in this room, we need to do that, okay? Smash that computer. Smash that iPhone. Get that TV out of your house. You know, I've told people they had some serious issues going on at work. Get a different job. 
Get a different job. You don't think God would bless that? You don't think God would give you another job if you're seeking to honor Him and to get sin out of your life, to put yourself in a position where you can overcome? Um, there are, are so many situations we find ourselves in and we, we put ourselves there in a way. We make provisions for the flesh. And the Bible says don't do that. Don't provide for yourself an opportunity to stumble and fall. Cut it off. If there is something in your life that you know is causing you to fall over and over again, cut it off. Cut it off. It's not worth the broken fellowship with the Lord. It's not worth the chastening. Alright, moving on. Now we're going to get a little bit into the the descriptions that Jesus gives of, of hell. Notice that He says, "...the worm doesn't die." Now, I've heard this over the years several times, and uh, I generally have this picture in my mind of what that means. Um, but I, I was reading a commentary, and I heard a couple of quotes uh, that said something that I, I had never considered. So you'll notice in your notes here, I have two quotes, one by a guy named Clark and, and one by Trapp. And it says this, It seems that everyone has his worm, his peculiar remorse for the evils he did and for the grace he rejected. While the fire, the state of excruciating torment, is common to all, reader, may the living God save thee from this worm and from this fire. And then Trapp says, This worm is only a continual remorse and furious reflection of the soul upon its own willful folly and now woeful misery. And so they're, they're saying that when Jesus says the worm doesn't die, it's speaking more of when you're in, in a place where it's over for you, you're, you're in hell and there is no going back. It's final. And the worm is living with, for all of eternity, what you have done and your, uh, your regret and that you rejected grace. It was there. God had extended grace to you and forgiveness and you spurned it. And the, the evil things that you have done in this life, and that you will be tormented with regret uh, and with the reality, with the misery that you rejected God. Now, I had never heard that before, and that makes a lot of sense to me because regret, as we all know, is, is a real form of torment, is it not? For those of us in here who have to live with regret or have been bound up by regret, you understand, can only imagine what level of regret this would be. But I've also, all, you know, and forgive me guys, this is a little graphic, but I've always thought of, you know, the worm never dies. The picture I had in my mind was in hell, it's, it's an eternity of torment and rotting flesh and you're covered in maggots and worms and they don't die. It's, it's eternal. You wish you could die. You're begging for death and death doesn't come and the worm eats you. Sorry. And I don't know that it's either one of those, and it may be one or the other, it may be both, I don't know, but it, it's hard for me to figure what it could be, and frankly, it doesn't sound good. Uh, the worm doesn't die, I don't know, I just don't like the sound of that. That's not something I want to have to, to experience, I don't want you to have to experience. And then Jesus also says that the fire is not quenched. The fire is an eternal blaze, it never goes out. Um, I've heard it suggested that the reason why hell is, is it's eternal is because we have sinned against an infinitely holy God. 
So the reality is, guys, we have no clue how holy God really is. We don't understand righteousness and purity on that level. We can't. And we're so desensitized. I mean, if people saw 50 years ago the stuff we see on a daily basis, I mean, they would be traumatized. The stuff we see on TV, we hear in the news, we see on social media, um, and we don't even flinch. But the reality is, God is perfectly and infinitely holy. And mortal man can never satisfy that debt. We have sinned against that God, and for all of eternity, the wages of sin is death. And if you want to pay that payment yourself, it's a payment you can never pay in full. It's a payment that requires eternal suffering and damnation. Now, that's the reason why Jesus had to be God. An infinite life for an infinite debt. Jesus was fully man. He had to be to represent us and to die in our place and for there to be a flesh and blood sacrifice on that cross. But He had to be holy. He had to be fully God so that He could be perfectly pure and so that He could satisfy an infinite debt. You tracking with me? And so, just speaking to the eternality of hell, that's why I would say hell is eternal. Because it's paying off a debt we can never pay. Man, praise God for His mercy. Amen? Praise God for His grace. Praise God that He paid the highest price so that we wouldn't have to pay this price. Alright, moving on. Verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The foot. Some people have a hard time not going where they shouldn't be. Jesus said if you can't, if you can't stop yourself from going there, it would be better if you cut your feet off. We all know there are just places that we, we ought not be. We shouldn't go. And uh, we need to cut that off. Verse 47 and 48, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It says here that uh, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. I don't really like that word pluck. I really think that it, it loses some of the shock that it's supposed to have. And, and I have heard it said that, that more literally it's, it's uh, a lot more graphic than that. It's to, to tear out or to rip. And that's just a little side note. But um, the point is the same. If your eye causes you to sin, he says, cut it out. You know, pluck it out, rip it out. Uh, it's a funny thing, the eyes. We've got to guard our eyes, guys. And Jesus talks about that. He says, the eye is the window to the soul. If your eye is dark, your body is full of darkness. What we see has a very real effect on us. You can't unsee it. You know, it's with you. It seems like it's with you forever. And so um, we have to be so careful about that. What are we watching? You know, and I think about one of the, you know, there's the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you look on something, you want that. You covet after it. It's desirable, okay? And uh, there's something about that. We've got to guard that. Guard your eyes. And so Jesus said, if your eye is causing you to, to stumble, you need to, to tear it out, pluck it out. 
Um, we're going to kind of start to wind down and close at this point. There's two more verses left, and these are uh, really challenging. I would say out of this whole text, these are probably the most difficult verses to understand uh, what exactly Jesus is getting at. And so, uh, verse 49, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Um, as I said, this is really uh, interpretively challenging and I've, I've looked at a couple of different commentaries and they all say the same thing, we don't really know. And they kind of give a few different ideas about uh, what's being said, but no one's super definitive about it. So as I have... Uh, in the name of trying to, to stay true to the context here and understand uh, what he's saying, um, I, I believe that the key here is have salt in yourselves. So Jesus, he's, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking about those who would, who would be an offense, those who um, have sin in their life, those who are separated from God, those who would need to, to uh, cut that off, whatever it is. It's not worth going to hell. And then he turns to his disciples at this point and says, but you. And I think he's talking specifically to the disciples, specifically to his believers. And I think the key here is have salt in yourselves. Okay, this is not so for you guys. You guys are salt. You guys are light. Does that, does that remind you of, of anywhere in the Bible? Does that ring a bell? It's in Matthew chapter 5. And the notes are there. The verses are there in your notes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now how can we be salt and how can we be light if we have sin? You know, and uh, I would go deeper than that. Uh, he's talking about the unbeliever. He's saying, cut that off, cut that hand off, cast that sin away, be salt, be light. When we talk about salt, salt, it's a, it's a, a cleansing agent. It has a purifying effect. It has a, um, a preserving effect. You understand what Jesus is getting at when he talks about salt. And the same as, as with light. And the idea when he uses this kind of language is to glorify God. The world will see us and they will glorify God. And so Jesus is making the comparison here. Don't be like those people. Don't be like that. Don't be in bondage to sin. Don't embrace sin. Cut that off and separate yourself. Be different. Be holy. Have salt in yourself. Be salt. Be light. Does that make sense? I can't be 100% sure that that's what he's saying, but as I understand it, that seems to fit uh, within the context uh, the best here. And so if you don't know Christ, if there's something that would hinder you from, from walking with God, I want to I plead with you today, turn away from that. To repent means to turn away from our sins and to turn to God. It's not just quitting what we once were doing, but it's, it's something... In addition to that, it's turning to the Lord. 
You know, giving up. Is there any comparison with giving up the old life for the new? Um, did we really lose anything when we forsook the old life to, to come to God? Absolutely not. We didn't. So uh, to turn away from our sin and to turn to Christ, what a glorious offer. And then to the Christian, if you're bound up in sin, if, you, if there's something in your life that is stopping you from experiencing the fullness of God, cut that out. Confess it. Turn from it. Repent of it. Have salt in yourself. Don't be flavorless salt. Don't be a lamp that is under a basket. Be a light for the world to see. Amen? And so as we, we are getting ready to close with a song, I want to close on this note. Um, Jesus takes holiness seriously. I mean, He's dead serious about holiness, right? And we, we aren't holy so that we can be pleasing to God. We're not holy so that we can earn God's favor. We are holy because God has saved us, because He has made us holy, and because we love Him and we want to be pleasing to Him. Does that make sense? We're not trying to earn God's favor, but because of what God has done in us, it's our greatest desire to want to be pleasing to Him. We want to live holy lives. Anything less than that is grievous to the heart of God, and I don't want to grieve the heart of God, do you? And so that's why we take holiness so seriously. And God has, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is created within us. God gives us a heart that longs for that. And so holiness is serious. And you know the first time Jesus ever mentions the church in the Bible? Does anybody know where that is? in Matthew chapter 18. And it's in the context of if your brother sins, go to him. If he won't hear you, take a couple people with you. If he still won't hear, take it to the church. And you know what that tells me? Jesus is serious about holiness in his church. That's what Jesus wants for his church, guys. He wants holiness. He wants us to walk in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. To love justice. To love mercy. To love righteousness. And so, uh, Laura, if you would come on up. We're going to close with a song. And I want to invite you guys. We're going to have people available for prayer on the left and the right side. And if you need someone to, to uh, pray for you, if you uh, need counsel, want to talk to somebody, I encourage you. If you want to respond to this message, if you want to put your faith in Christ, they're there for you to love you and lead you in that way. But we're going to do something a little differently today. If you want to come up here and just bow at the steps and do business with God, if you want to confess your sins to the Lord, if there's something in your life that you need to cut out, it starts by confessing it. Just agreeing with God and being honest and being real and taking that first step. And some people aren't going to want to come up here because they're too worried about what people think. And I'm just going to tell you this. Worry about what God thinks. Right? Don't worry about what people think. There's something special about coming up front and just it's a public declaration that I, I want God and I don't want anything between me and God. And uh, there's nothing special about this spot, but I think it's just more of a, it's taking that step, getting up out of your seat and being like, I want it. Okay? You think God will bless that? I think He will. So we're going to close with a song. Let me pray for us. And I want to encourage you guys. There's nothing worth it 
There's nothing worth being separated from God. There's nothing more beautiful, more precious than having Him and knowing Him. Father, we love You. We praise Your holy name. We thank You that as Christians, we'll never, we'll never know that torment and that separation that, Jesus, You have so graphically described. Um, but Lord, let it be that we would never uh, experience any kind of broken fellowship with You or, or any uh, coldness or distance because of our sin. We want to walk closely to You, Lord, in obedience and love and righteousness. And may it not be for anyone in this room today that they would be under Your judgment. May today be the day that they come forward and that they would uh, separate themselves from their sin, that they would repent, they would turn, that they would cut whatever that is off and realize that there's nothing more valuable than You, Lord. And so I pray that You would bless this time. Let this be a time of uh, response, of worship, of reflection, uh, of praise to You, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.